0: You don't need a study to tell you that aging and fatigue go hand in hand. Nevertheless, my friends at Nutritional Therapeutics, makers of NT Factor, point to 16 studies, all peer-reviewed and published in medical journals, showing that NT Factor can reduce fatigue, while at the same time, age-related changes in the cells are reversed. For 30 years, the makers of NTFactor have worked to improve our health spans by focusing on the mitochondria, the energy powerhouses of our cells. Their science shows that NTFactor, which I don't go a day without and recommend to my patients, improves our energy and prevents the deterioration that accompanies aging. They promise us that our day-to-day lives will be improved and they keep proving it in studies that include placebo-controlled trials, both in the academic institutions and in medical practices like mine. You can find N.T. Factor at your favorite health food store or online retailer. Or, to order direct, go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Don't let tiredness and fatigue rob your senior years. Invest regularly in the anti-aging benefit of N.T. Factor at ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to take a little bit of a look behind the curtain of the pharmaceutical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the dominant paradigm in American medicine. Uh, With us today is Troy Duell. He's a highly experienced health educator and the founder of Centurion Labs. It's a natural products company. Uh, And he, however, has extensive... Experience in the pharmaceutical industry, and uh, the result of his experience has led him to embrace a more natural approach to optimizing health. Uh, in terms of his uh, background, uh, he holds uh, a Bachelor of Science from the University of Alabama. Uh, condolences on uh, the retirement of Nick Saban, <laughs> and also a master's degree from Regent University. Uh, he's also of interest, uh, he's an athlete, a, prof- uh, a professional soccer player formerly. Uh, he was a teacher and a coach before entering the pharmaceutical uh, industry. So uh, the the theme is medicating our problems away. Pharma Insider offers alternative view. So, Troy, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Welcome. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Dr. I'm super excited about being here.
0: Well, okay, uh, Troy, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience in in the pharmaceutical industry. What did you do and, you know, what led to your, it sounds like there's some degree of disillusionment because you became uh, an advocate of of natural uh, approaches to optimizing health.
1: Absolutely. I I think uh, there were there were both good and bad things that happened during my experience with pharmaceuticals. Uh, started in sales, got into management, and during my time, certainly met a lot of good people. And there were a lot of people who were all about trying to get people healthy and get people better. But there were also uh, it, it seemed to be a mentality where a lot of times we were relying so much on the medicines, we took the personal responsibility piece off of the individuals. And a great example of that is going in and talking with a physician one time and seeing him in the back and he was out back smoking cigarette and he was uh, eating donuts. Somebody had brought in donuts. So he was eating donuts and smoking a cigarette and he was raving and super excited and this is at a at a teaching hospital because he had found out that there was a new medication that would help lower his cholesterol and having that conversation it was along the lines of I don't really have to change anything that I'm doing because I can take this cholesterol medicine and it will cure everything that I do it'll it'll take away any consequences from my actions and I think That has been probably the biggest issue that I saw within pharmaceuticals is this notion that a pill is going to change everything that we do and no longer allow us to have any consequences to our actions and to our lives. So uh, no longer did you have to worry about your diet. No longer did you have to worry about exercising because you could take something to overcome it. And That certainly was a discouraging piece to see and hear with some physicians, not all, but I think even our our health insurance and insurance companies fall in line with that. There's not as much uh, value to being uh, proactive with your health as there is in being reactive and treating conditions instead of trying to keep those conditions from ever coming up to begin with.
0: Indeed. I mean, I think that really sums it up. Uh, But obviously, you know, you have some insights on uh, how the pharmaceutical industry uh, in kind of an insidious way uh, influences doctors decisions. I mean, look, we we go to medical school, you know, as a physician, you know, we were taught, uh, you know, all about diseases and we were taught about pharmacology and how medications work. Uh, And then we embarked on a medical career. Uh, We were very busy. Uh, Many of us were paying off loans. We were, you know, working crazy hours. And our education about new drugs uh, often came from pharmaceutical reps, who, by the way, often appeared uh, at uh, rounds where where they would tell us about new medications and then they'd order pizza and heroes (laughs) And donuts. So it wasn't just the pharmaceutical exec. He was uh, engaging in uh, gastronomic mayhem. Uh, the, one of the ways to entice doctors to learn about new drugs is uh, to throw a bash, you know, and, and, and feed them.
1: You know, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of times uh, doctors were influenced possibly by, by the meals or other things that were going on but it depended a lot upon the relationship between the physician and the pharmaceutical rep that was going in. Uh, most pharmaceutical reps that uh, I knew tried to be above board. There's obviously a lot of uh, industry regulation that keeps them from saying certain things, but there are certainly those who push the envelope because they were looking to, to make a sale. And I think where, Uh, To your point, when a physician is incredibly busy and they're not able to get that information, a lot of times they rely on that pharmaceutical uh, representative who comes in to, to talk to them. And that can be good if it's the right pharmaceutical representative and it's the right physician. But from a physician standpoint, if it's a physician who's overburdened with their schedule and they don't have time to do some research or find out more information about that product, then obviously that can become an issue because they may be taking the relationship as as opposed to diving in and understanding the nuances of the product and what uh, drawbacks there may be for individuals when they take it. So I I think there is that personal responsibility that comes in with the pharmaceutical rep, the, the physician, but also as individuals where we need to really, and I actually had this conversation with my parents recently where they went in and they were given a medication and I said, well, what was the medication? And their response was, well, we don't, we don't know what it was. And I said, well, it's, it's really your, your health and it's up to you to know what you're getting in order to make sure that there's not some mistake that's going on because Most, and I would say 99.9% of physicians and nurses or anybody else within the industry always want to do what's right, but they're still human and they can make mistakes. So as individuals, we need to take that ownership on ourselves and not put all that onus and responsibility on our physicians, but to kind of take some of that back. So that's really where I go the standpoint of you know is this um an issue with pharmaceutical reps sometimes and relationships where uh maybe they're saying one-sided piece and they're not giving the downside to it but i think everybody has to take some responsibility and, and step up when it comes to that
0: you, you also comment on on how Rapid sometimes these communications are. Uh, You're, you contend that critical educational moments often last a mere 30 to 45 seconds when uh, new drugs are are presented. Uh, And, you know, doctors press for time. They, you know, want a quick summary of what a new medication might do. And, you know, they tend to be enthusiasts. So they, you know, take a few drug samples samples are you know big part of what drug reps do and they say hmm let me just try this out on patients and uh ultimately um some of these medications uh, don't really they're not up to snuff right
1: that is that's very true and i think much like the frustration from a patient standpoint when you go into a position and oftentimes there's not enough time really to to dive into some of the deeper issues that are going on in your health, I think the same is true and can be said of uh, a relationship or an interaction between a doctor and a pharmaceutical representative, because for the most part, those interactions are 15 to 30 seconds, and you want to leave information that the physician can read, but having been around many physicians, and I, I know that uh, you, you've already discussed it. When they're that busy, oftentimes they won't go back and read it. And they'll, they'll end up taking the word of the, uh, pharmaceutical rep if there's a good relationship and, and trust. And hopefully there is that trust and they're a trustworthy individual. But, you know, sometimes it can backfire and they use the product and don't fully understand the downside or the side effects of that product and how it could affect certain patients. So, yeah, I, I think those interactions should get um, longer and have more interactions in order to really learn the product and uh, have physicians feel comfortable uh, with those products.
0: I think the, the big spotlight on this uh, occurred with the marketing of uh, OxyContin. Which was utterly irresponsible, you know, when they you know, alleged that this was a great medication for pain, that there was almost no upward limit for how much you could prescribe or for how long, and that it. You know, the biggest lie of all is that it wasn't addictive. And this is actually part and parcel of the messaging by uh, the pharmaceutical companies via the pharmaceutical reps. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, you know, dinners and a lot of, you know, uh, high pressure sales and incentives to the pharmaceutical reps because, you know, they landed another big account. And, you know, their doctors were big, quote, producers because they were prescribing like crazy and, uh, you know, ultimately that led to, you know, a huge uh, backlash and uh, huge financial settlements uh, against the, you know, the companies that were marketing these meds.
1: Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I think that was a, a total abuse of the system. It was an abuse of trust by uh, Purdue, the pharmaceutical company who went out and did that in the way that they marketed and campaigned those products for physicians. And I think it created an an industry even amongst physicians where in pain clinics and other places, they abused those products and got people hooked on it and uh, ended up destroying a lot of people's lives. And it was a very, very uh, horrible thing to see. I think it destroyed the trust between patients and doctors in, in some sense. It certainly destroyed the trust between pharmaceutical companies and doctors in many cases. And I think it led down the path of, uh, kind of the first of many balls to, to fall within the pharmaceutical world that we've seen, like, uh, what we've seen since, uh, 2020 with some of the things that were going on out there. And it just created a, a, a system of distrust, I think. And it's unfortunate because A lot of times there are products that bring lots of benefit uh, to individuals and can help them in an interim until they get back on their feet. And I think we we changed the whole mindset of medicine from where this is supposed to assist somebody to get them back to health instead of being their health and uh, total trust and reliance on
0: that product. Indeed. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think in the wake of this, uh, there was a 2019 Harvard study that kind of threw a spotlight on this challenge, on these challenges. And um, it unearthed uh, issues of transparency and fraud that really have kind of undermined public trust in the pharmaceutical industry. You know, the United States is one of the few countries, I believe it's the United States and one other country, New Zealand, that allow... DTC, direct to consumer advertising. So, you know, especially when you're watching shows that are kind of geared towards an older population, like, you know, people, young kids don't get their news by sitting down in front of the TV at six o'clock and watching the news dutifully for an hour. Uh, They get their news from, you know, social media. But older individuals are in the habit of, you know, they remember, you know. Uh, Huntley Brinkley and Walter Cronkite and <laughs> you know, Charles Collingwood. Uh, and so they actually sit and listen to the news in the evening and the ads, it's just like a constant barrage of ads for all and sundry medical problems that afflict uh, seniors, uh, you know, whether it's uh, urinary incontinence or, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, so, what's your take on these ads? I mean, don't they have a, it's kind of ask your doctor about this medication. Well, what it basically does is it drives sales uh, from a kind of a grassroots level, from a consumer level, rather than putting the doctor in charge of what medications people should be on. Doctors are pressured to prescribe medication because patients pay a fee to see the doctors. They expect a prescription or something and not just, you know, bland reassurance that maybe they should lose some weight, exercise more and eat a healthier diet.
1: Absolutely. And I I think it honestly is a, is a symptom of our culture where, again, we, we want something now. We want results now. We want our food now. We we don't want to wait on any results. And we think that a pill is the, the magic thing that will change our lives when, The truth is we're typically we're treating only symptoms and we're not getting to the problem the root of the problem that comes along with these things and and i know plenty of physicians who talk about instances where they knew that the product was not right for the patient but the patient and the patient's family came in and they heard about it and they researched and you know they they wanted to pressure the physician into prescribing that product. And a lot of those physicians who are well-grounded and very strong individuals resist that temptation to write it, uh, especially if they feel like there's another route that they can go. But then there are some that I know that that will cave to that pressure, and they say, well, what's it going to hurt? The FDA has has done all the research on, on it, and they know that it's safe, and it's effective, and they can get it out to the patient, and they uh, end up just kind of caving to the pressure instead of doing what maybe their gut or instinct, instinct, uh, says is best for the patient in that scenario. And they, they'll change their plans based on the input from the physician or not from the physician, from the, from the patient.
0: Indeed. You know, cause there is, uh, it, and it's an unusual situation because, uh, we have a pro, a for profit, uh, system. In this country, and the benefits of a for-profit system is it creates a bonanza for the pharmaceutical industry, so they can do a lot of R and D, and maybe they can come up with amazing new medications. But they're expensive, and uh, this drives up uh, healthcare costs. Uh, the incentives are aligned towards more medication. Do more, not yeah. do less. In other countries, well, you know, there's rationing of medical care. You have to wait a long time to see a doctor. Uh, you practically have to beg to get a medication that's expensive. That's the downside. But the upside is that uh, they're trying to do cost containment, which ultimately means people will be exposed less to the ravages of polypharmacy. You know, lots of excess drugs and the burden of side effects.
1: I I totally agree, and where I would where I would add a little bit more, or even um, maybe differ just a little bit, is I think a lot of our issues are when we don't have a very transparent medical community. When you go in as a patient to a physician, you have no idea how much you're paying for any of the services you've taken. You have no idea how much you're paying for the medications you're taking because we have insurance that basically covers over everything where I may be taking a product that's $2,000 a month for the insurance company. But for me, I pay a copay of $10 or $25 and you no longer have control over your healthcare because you, you no longer have to worry about those financial incentives that come along with it. And I think if you if you pull back that piece, there would be some remedy to it because I'm going to certainly care a lot more about taking this medication and I'm going to see if it's really something I need to take, if it's going to cut into my budget a lot more. The the other piece that I would say that is probably uh, even bigger is the capture of the FDA. So the FDA being captured by pharmaceutical companies and Mm-hmm. basically ninety nine percent of their fees come from pharmaceutical companies so yeah
0: that's a it just, could, could you explain how that works because you know a lot of people think oh you know it's a government agency it's funded by the taxpayers but actually uh in some ways uh, I likened the fDA to uh the um uh, the privateers uh of you know the time when uh England and France and Spain were contesting for the trade routes and the english navy's you know was overextended so they said hey you can be a pirate and you can raid the ships of our don't raid our ships but raid the enemy ships and you can keep you know all the plunder <laughs> for yourself that may be an mm-hmm. extreme example but you know in effect uh there it there is regulatory capture because uh it's a pay-to-play system. The pharmaceutical industry is paying for the FDA to review their studies to get drug approval. so it's it's kind of an inherent conflict of interest, isn't it? it
1: It is and I think it's a it's really a horrible system if you have somebody who is regulating you and then they are getting their salaries and their whole uh, budget comes from those pharmaceutical companies, there's incentive to make sure that these drugs actually come to market in order to pay the fees. And I, I think that also adds a layer of complexity and financial uh, deepening of things that as consumers, it just gets more and more expensive because every time they come out with a greater regulation, they have things called a FIDUFA fee or a GADUFA fee, which is for a drug use um, authorization um, fee or a drug use fee.
0: And what, give me an uh, idea what those it, those costs. I mean, what's the, in the range of, you know, are we talking, you know, thousands of dollars or millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars?
1: It, it, it is a percentage of the sales that come in. So oh, my goodness. Typically, they'll do um, 2 to 3%. Uh, you know, the flat fee with some of them are as low as $250,000 and flat fee for brand new product. And those are typically generic products, but for the brand new products, it's typically a million dollars, uh, for a flat fee. And those go up and their percentages and they have to pay it every year. Mm. So it's a, it's a huge tax and burden on those pharmaceutical companies. But at the same time, if you're getting your whole budget from it then there's a bit of a you know we don't want to be too hard on them because if we take this product off the market or we don't allow it to come to market then it could affect our budget exactly affect our, our our piece of the pie
0: i think a lot of people don't understand how that system works and moreover uh typically uh, a career path for someone who works for government, you know, you you get a, a, a G whatever, you know, salary, G, I don't know, G mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine. And the the highest salary was, of course, uh, Dr. Uh, Fauci, you know, who got like 400,000, but he was the highest paid person. So you can imagine that some of the top executives in uh, the FDA may be making they may be making six figures, but, you know, they're not making millions of dollars. Uh, but they, they can have a career there where they uh, regulate the pharmaceutical industry for a few years, gain a lot of experience about the ins and outs, uh, and then retire with some, some sort of government pension, uh, and then go work for the privates, making five or ten times more than they made working for the government. And they know the, the fix is on. They know how to get it done when it comes to drug approvals, because they were the ones who were wrangling with the pharmaceutical industry from the inside before, right? So it's a revolving door. Right. And,
1: and and it also comes down to relationships. So if you go and you're working with the FDA, and then you come out and you want to work in the private sector, then you've got the relationships to say, hey, this guy and this company is doing things on the up and up, and all of a sudden you're not necessarily looking uh, as intently at something as you you might have um and i I think not only that what what you're talking about with the high salaries, but there are uh, there are incentives for some that allow the scientists and uh medical practitioners that they get a percent of sales or they can own some of the patents or mm-hmm. Some of those things that go on, because I know uh, some of that was revealed with Doctor Fauci and what was going on in
0: his his realm. Yeah, well, in, in the vaccine realm, that's a whole different thing. Okay, great stuff. Great. Uh, we, we're uh, our listeners know that we we divide our podcast into two parts. Uh, our guest is Troy Dual. Troy uh, is an experienced health educator and founder of Centurion Labs, uh, which is a maker of safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products. And uh, Troy has uh, deep experience uh, in the pharmaceutical industry uh, and is sharing uh, some insights with us about uh, how things work. Uh, in part two, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, potential solutions for how people can empower themselves uh, to uh, stay ahead of entrapment by uh, a paradigm that ignores lifestyle uh, at the expense of putting people on lots and lots of medications. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.